Amen. I invite you to turn your Bibles to the book of Colossians uh, this morning. Uh, book of Colossians. I'm sure there are all sorts of different sermons being preached on this day as we start the new year out. And uh, there are many different, perhaps worthy, themes that one might preach on uh, as we partake or start this new year. Uh, I've had the opportunity myself to preach um, New Year's sermons uh, from time to time over the years and have preached on different themes. But this morning, I thought that uh, the theme that we would, would, would focus on would be uh, Jesus Christ. So the title of the sermon from Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4 is Christ, Our Life. The last several months, if you've been around Colonial, you know that we have been making our way, or we made our way through the book of Philippians. And uh, as we went through that book, we uh, determined to keep our mind set on, or keep our focus on, the things that Paul told us to in the book. Uh, Today, as we come to the new year, uh, I want to look at this text, because I think it's really easy for all of us to lose focus and get our minds off of the right sort of things. Remember hearing a story about Martin Luther. Martin Luther once went into, uh, to a young man uh, who he knew quite well, and he informed this, this guy that he would, uh, he would buy him a new horse and carriage if the, new, if the young man could make it the whole way through the praying the Lord's Prayer and and not losing focus, but meditating upon every phrase. So the young man thought, this is no problem at all. So uh, he started into the prayer. But soon this young man came back to Luther, and he had to confess that as he was praying throughout the Lord's Prayer, phrase after phrase, all he could think about was the new horse and the carriage. I think it's so easy for us to attempt even good things but to lose focus and get our minds on the wrong things. As we approach this new year, I would like to learn from Paul's important challenge in Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. So look in your Bibles with me at Colossians 3 and verse 1. It says, If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. In these verses, Paul gives the Colossian believers two very important imperatives. He said, if you have been raised with Christ, which basically means if if indeed you are true believers, then there are two strong ways you should respond. First, seek things which are above, and secondly, set your mind on things which are above. This first imperative, the verb seek, Paul means to desire or to pursue after. And so they were to keep on seeking the things which are above. The second imperative, translated here, set your minds on, 
means that they were to fix their thoughts or their attention on heavenly things. I think these two imperatives, seek and set your mind on, are almost synonymous. If there is any difference between them, I would agree with the old commentator Lightfoot, who said this. He said, we, sh- we must not only seek heaven, we must also think heaven. Seek, about, seek heavenly things and set our minds or our focus on them. Thus, it appears to me in the very beginning of this that the, the key point would be that our whole disposition uh, should orient itself toward heaven, both internally and externally. Now, the, the way I understand the rest of this text, though, after those imperatives, Paul gives four reasons why we should focus on things above. And so as we're working through this this morning, these would be four reasons why we should think more about heaven and heavenly things uh, this new year. First one is found in verse 1. He says, first, we must focus on things above because Christ is there. Look with me in verse 1. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the above things, the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. You realize that heaven is one of the most neglected theological topics in all of systematic theology. This past week I was reading through a portion of Louis Burkhoff's voluminous systematic theology. And while this book is over a thousand pages long, he devotes one page to the doctrine of heaven. As we come to the Bible, we find that the word heaven occurs in every section of the scriptures. And no doubt, the writers of scripture, so recently removed from from having the bodily presence of Christ, thought and wrote much about heaven. There are actually many glories of heaven that deserve or could deserve our attention this morning. For instance, heaven is a place, the scriptures tell us, where there'll be no corruption, sorrow, or loss. Heaven brings, uh, 1 Peter tells us, an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade away from us. Paul, in the book of Philippians, in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 21, tells us that heaven will mean the acquisition of new, glorified, powerful, Zeus-like bodies that are unaffected by sin. Heaven will bring a complete knowledge of life, the deep things of God, the whole of Scripture in every area of science and art. Matthew 13, in in Matthew 13, Matthew tells us that heaven will mean that the righteous shine forth like stars in the kingdom of God. Also, heaven will, will mean or bring with it the overcoming of all human sorrow and the removal of all external and internal pressure to sin. I loved what the 
old commentator on the book of Leviticus wrote about heaven. He said, imagine an eternity where we will think not one earthly thought or feed one desire which is not divinely pure. That comes from Andrew Bonar, commentator on Leviticus. He says, imagine a time where you won't feed one earthly thought or you won't feed a desire that's not divinely pure. And so for those of us who know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, heaven will mean the eradication completely of our sin nature. Doesn't that sound good? So I'm describing heaven and all these glories. There's just, just so many things you could focus on according to the scripture. Heaven will bring a blessed reunion of loved ones who've gone home to be with the Lord. To see them and spend an eternity with them. Heaven will also bring what I'd call the the site of the theological center of the universe, the throne room of God, the very place where God himself dwells, and Jesus, of course, being seated at his right hand. But men and women, we must be careful not to develop a preoccupation with the furniture of heaven or the blessings of heaven and fail to set our minds primarily on the greatest blessing of heaven, the person, Jesus Christ. Or even as I was looking this week, even all of the furniture and the blessings and the objects described in the book of Revelation in heaven are described in relationship to their proximity to the person, Jesus Christ. Sea of glass just before him, the beasts around him, the 24 elders there as well, all above and around Jesus. He is the most important point or blessing associated with heaven. On Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1, Paul gives us an important reason for believers to keep their focus on heaven. There may be some within the room that would say um, or question the validity of a heavenly focus while on earth. Ever heard the old saying, a person is uh, so heavenly minded, he is of no earthly good? How do you think Paul would evaluate that statement? What would he have to say about that? Well, look at Colossians 3 and verse 1. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Seek the above things where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Paul says that believers should seek and keep their minds on heavenly things. And they should do this because this is where Christ is. In other words, heaven is a good focus for believers because that's where our Savior is, Jesus. Ladies, let's imagine for a moment that you are married to or you are engaged to a man who was deployed to Iraq. It would be strange, be unloving for you to be flippant about the details of current events in Iraq. I mean, you may have not really cared much about Iraq before that time. But the very fact that your husband or your fiancé there is there now you're all things Iraq. 
Right? You're reading every event. You're staying current. You're, you're even looking at the weather in Iraq. Why? Because someone you loved is there. We should care about heaven because Christ is there. Actually, Paul makes Christ the main emphasis of these four verses. For in four verses, you see the word Christ four times. And what may uh, first appear like unnecessary redundancy actually makes Christ emphatic in this text. This text is about setting our mind or focus on things above but it's also about Jesus. And so the first reason Paul gives for us in this new year to set our focus on things above or heavenly things is because that is where Christ is. The rest of the text unfolds or gives other reasons, though. Okay, and so the second reason we should focus on things above or heavenly things this new year is because you have died. Verses 2 and the first part of verse 3. Let's read this together. It says, set your mind on things that are above, not on things of the earth. Why? What reason do you have, Paul, for me to do this? For you have died. Now, you might not feel like you're dead today, right? Maybe you had an especially difficult night last night. You don't feel very good you don't feel dead. So what does Paul mean when he says here that we have died? Occasionally you'll come across this sort of language in the New Testament. And when you do, typically it's defined for us what, what believers have died to. So for instance, in the New Testament sometimes we're told that we're dead to sin. Or we are dead to this world. Or we're dead to the law of Moses. But if you look back in your text at Colossians 2 and verse 20, I think he tells us what we're dead to. Uh, just before this, in, in, in a very parallel passage, look at Colossians 2 and verse 20. If with Christ you have died. Colossians 3 and verse 1, if you have been raised. Two parallel sections. But in Colossians 2 and verse 20, he tells us what we've died to. If with Christ you have died to the elemental spirits of the world. Okay, so we're dead to the elemental spirits of the world. But what does that mean, right? That's a tough one. Some translations read, we're dead to the rudiments of the world. And honestly, that translation doesn't help me much more either. I just, maybe I'm unusual, I just don't really know what the word rudiment is. Uh, is in reference to either. This is a difficult statement, but I think Paul probably means that when we identified with Jesus in his crucifixion, when we became believers, we became liberated from the rulers of this present evil age. You see, Paul understand, understood that the natural state of our fallen world involves people being held captive in sin to certain forces, certain elemental spirits. These rollers might include Satan and his hosts who would 
love to bring believers back into bondage again to regulations and rules instead of causing them to rejoice in the completed work of Jesus Christ. So it might be Satan and his host. I I think this also, these elemental spirits, he could be talking about forces like sin and death that he will personify at times in the New Testament. Sin is like a person reigning and ruling down over humanity, keeping them or holding them captive in bondage, and so is death. And so Paul says that you've died to the elemental ruling spirits of this world that would keep us in bondage to rules and regulations like the law of Moses even, instead of rejoicing in Christ. To see this a little bit better in your Bibles, I just want to read through a few passages here with you. Look at Colossians 2. It's all in Colossians 2. Look with me at verse 8. Paul says, see to it that no one, I think there were some false teachers in Colossae who were trying to take the Colossians into captivity. How? See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human traditions. That's what these people are proclaiming, traditions according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. These false teachers, perhaps from a Colossian synagogue, were were, uh, proclaiming everything but Jesus Christ. Verse 10, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you've been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Don't let things distract you from Christ. Verse 16, therefore, verse 16, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Here Paul says, don't don't settle for the, the shadow when you can have the exact fulfillment of these things in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Look then in verse 20, chapter 2, if if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you are alive in the world, do you submit again to regulations? Like do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to the things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teaching. See, it's very easy for believers to revert back to rules and regulations in an attempt to gain favor with God instead of Christ. And so in Colossians 3, in verse 2, Paul says that we should set our minds on above things because we have died. Notice as well that he says in verse 2 that we are to not set our mind on earthly things. When Paul says earthly things here, what do you suppose he's thinking of or writing about? I think earthly things could mean a whole host of different things. I think in context, earthly things 
would probably most clearly refer to sinful pleasures and attitudes that the Colossians may have been known for before. As a matter of fact, if you look down in your Bible at verse 5, Colossians 3, 5, so, so we're answering what are the earthly things we're not supposed to focus on? If you look down at verse 5, he says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly? And he basically tells you what the earthly things are here in this list. Things like sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires. The rest of the list here. Put these things off. Those are earthly things. We shouldn't set our minds on those things. And then he continues the list in a different way in verse 8. Put off things like anger, wrath, malice, slander, and crude talking. So as we approach the new year, one of the things that Paul would have us do, because we're dead, we're dead to the elemental spirits that would love to rule down over us and cause our focus to be drawn to earthly things, is that we should avoid sinful pleasures and attitudes like he describes here in this passage. I think earthly things might also be in reference to earthly distractions. God's people are often distracted by things like a love of money or honor or even mundane material things. For to be honest about our last year, there were times when each one of us kind of dug around in the dirt, right? And, and we became obsessed or we put a lot of time or focus into mundane material or physical things. So when Paul says, Keep your minds set on things above, not on earthly things. You might also have in mind these distractions. I think in light of the context, I might also try to make the case that the earthly things Paul would have the Colossians avoid would be their own legalistic benchmarks and standards. These things, perhaps taught by the false teachers in Colossae, would be cloaked in the guise of religion, or the guile of religion. Colossians 2, I think the false teachers desired to distract the Colossian believers with things associated with obeying the law. Want them to really focus more on Sabbaths and feast days and festivals, regulations, and so on. I think even something as good as attention to the Mosaic law can keep our focus off of Christ. And so Colossians here is difficult, but what is clear is that Paul will in some ways go after legalists in Colossae. People who are emphasizing rules and regulations of the law. But what we need to understand is that God fulfilled the entire law of Moses in the perfect obedience of Jesus Christ to set us free and turn so so that we might be able to turn our attention, maybe even our admiration, to the person of Jesus Christ. So when you turn to Christ, if you know him as your Savior, you turned away from ceremonies, and traditions as a means of gaining favor with God. 
point of application as we start out this new year, I encourage you not to put too much emphasis on your own sets of rules and regulations that you intend to guide you toward Christ. I mean, as, as helpful as personal or corporate standards can be to the health of a church or the protection of our families, we must not be consumed with earthly things. In chapter 2, Paul says it was a mark of the false teachers to be consumed with earthly things. And those teachers stand in stark contrast to what Paul is looking for. Paul is looking for the Colossians to be filled, their vision to be filled with the above things and to be filled with the person of Jesus Christ. A few years ago, I had the opportunity to, hold, to hear an old preacher that in some ways I respect give kind of a final challenge to his extended family at a family get-together. There were over 70 family members there, and he took the freedom to preach a sermon. I do take issue a bit with what he said, though. For as he is standing before all these loved ones, his message primarily dealt with two things. The role of America in biblical prophecy and the superiority of one particular English version of the Bible. And he spoke on those two themes from a wide variety of texts. Now we could go through and critique his exposition this morning. I'm not going to do that. What I am going to say, though, is I sure hope that as an old preacher one day, my last sermon is not about some strange views of eschatology or the superiority of anything English, whether it's a version or not, but that it's about Christ, about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is so easy for us men and women to get our minds drawn to even things that we set up as good standards or rules or regulations to help us get to Christ. Let's not get our focus on all of that. Those can perhaps at times be necessary for us and our church or our family, but instead, don't lose focus. Keep your mind set on heavenly things. Keep them set on heaven because Jesus is there. The third reason I'm going to do very quickly, uh, you must also focus on heavenly things because the world doesn't understand us anyway. That's why I take verse 3b. Okay, look at the end of verse 3. This is a third reason. And here's another reason to keep your focus set on heaven. Your life is hidden with Christ and God. The word hidden is a bit controversial. It might be in reference to the fact that our life is secure in God. It's like we're hidden in him. Or it may mean or carry with it the idea of our life being concealed or hidden from someone. Okay, and I, I kind of take it that last way. I, I think especially because of the next verse. I think as we keep going and we look at verse 4, it seems that the idea of concealment becomes clearer. Because the final reason we should seek, have, should seek heavenly things, 
is we should focus on things above because we will, be, we will join Christ there when he appears. And so the reference to the appearing of Jesus and then our appearing causes me to think that right now we're hidden. The world just doesn't understand the value of who we are and who we embrace. It's hidden from them. But one day soon, it will appear. And what will bring that appearance? Well, the return of the Lord. When the Lord comes back and he appears as rapture, I think, then we will also appear with him in glory. So the final reason we should focus on things above is because we will join Christ there in heaven when he appears. Not only is Christ in heaven now, in the future, he will appear from there. And in contrast to our present condition of hiddenness, we will appear with him in the glories of heaven at the rapture. I want you to notice as well, though, the emphasis that this text places on Christ. Uh, this text started with Christ. He's the first reason, and he's the final reason. This text is about heaven, but it's about Christ. And notice in verse 4 what Paul calls Christ. Christ, who is our life. Paul proclaims to these Colossian believers that their lives are bound up in Christ. Christ's interests, his desires, should be our interests and desires. And so I ask you this morning, can you define your whole existence as you look to this new year as Christ? Is your mind set on him? This is the best thing I can give for you for the new year. That of all sorts of different self-help methods, and ways to get better at this or that. The focus of the sermon is Christ, who is our life. If we're to be honest, as we evaluate this last year, instead of seeking Christ, perhaps we were seeking emails on our laptops, or friends on our cell phones, or pleasures for ourselves in all sorts of different relationships other than Christ. We were seeking renovations to our homes, a new car or truck for our garage. We're seeking amusements on our TVs, thrills from our radios, degrees for our walls, or messages on our Facebook. But we were not really seeking Christ. Won't you commit this new year to seek Christ and his above things? As we close, there's a book entitled Heaven, written by Randy Alcorn. In this book, he asks his readers to use their imagination for a moment about heaven. Now, I'm not all into that, but I do like this one paragraph. Alcorn said this, he said, imagine the flowers unwilt unwilting, the grass undying, the blue sky without pollution, people smiling and joyful, not angry, depressed, and empty. He said, close your eyes and envision the most beautiful place that you could possibly imagine. 
Think of friends or family members who've loved Jesus and are with him now. Picture them with you, walking together in this place. All of you have powerful bodies, stronger than those of an Olympic decathlete. You are laughing, playing, talking, and reminiscing. You reach up to a tree to pick an apple or an orange. You take a bite. It's so sweet that it's startling. You've never tasted anything so good. But now you see someone coming toward you. It's Jesus. The big smile on his face. And there you fall to your knees in worship. He pulls you up and embraces you. Men and women, this will be our experience in heaven, enjoying Christ forevermore. Don't play around in the mud this year, distracted by sinful pleasures and worldly amusements or legalistic benchmarks. Instead, keep your focus on, seek after things above, where Christ is seated at God's right hand, whereby his, and, and by his good grace, and from where he will appear one day in the near future to save us from this. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for the text of Colossians. We're thankful for how closely you associate seeking and thinking on heavenly things, the glories of heaven and the person of Jesus. Lord, I would pray that as we all now turn to self-evaluation and then reflection on the life of Christ at the Lord's table, I would pray that one thing would be at the center of our gaze, and that would be Christ. May he be our life this year, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.